This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome board folks, Dr. Charles Parker. Here we are, and today we have another interesting guest on the line of things that we've talked about in the past, but in a very constructive way. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about uh, challenges with narcissistic personalities and, and issues like that, and our guest today, Catherine Mitchum, is just a great woman. She's going to tell us uh, really some very specific things about how people can recover from challenging terminal relationships with narcissistic individuals. So, Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on board. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Parker. I'm excited to be here. So what we'll do, folks, before we get started, just a couple words from our sponsors, and then we'll go on and introduce Catherine to you. Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory. They are international leaders in molecular testing for mind science details. With over 3 million studies, they provide deep experience with the usefulness of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. If you have any questions about what all that means, just go into Core Brain Journal and type in copper, and it'll all pop up. Their innovative insights improve treatment priorities through a global service with, indeed, a molecular focus. Connect your provider with a PDF on how and why these tests work for treatment failure at dhalab.com forward slash core, C-O-R-E. Stay tuned for more details in just a minute. Core Brain Journal is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide fresh options to address the complexity of child and adolescent treatment failure from behavior imbalances to substance abuse, both nationally and internationally with residential care. Most interesting is their deep focus on data-driven biomedical advances that measure specifics on what to do with those treatment failures, even after multiple hospitalizations are extensive outpatient work that resulted in treatment failure. Review their innovative programs at barryrobinson.org forward slash core. That's B-A-R-R-Y robinson.org forward slash core. More information over there and more information coming later in the program. So let me tell you a little bit about Catherine. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. She works in one-to-one. She is a lifestyle coach, and she brings an interesting East-West perspective into her coaching. She works one-to-one in groups and through a variety of online programs like, get this, Divorce 911 and the Worry Detox with people facing tough transitions, such as divorce, it's not only about divorce, career change, health challenges, and other midlife messes. She supports and cheers on her clients as they learn to manage and navigate through the difficult emotions and worry that come along with unexpected change and crisis. And Catherine, you don't know this, but we're all about change and crisis and transition. Pretty much in everyone's life at some point. Absolutely. And it's, we can't ignore it. We might as well really learn to embrace it. Absolutely. Thanks for chiming. It's the ubiquity of life, you know. Mm-hmm. So Catherine yeah. teaches lifestyle tools from yoga and meditation that can be done in only 10 minutes, and we're all concerned about time, or less, helping to cope with extreme stress and uncertainty 
that these changes do bring along. So she does what she can to help the individuals see more clearly what the next step is in their personal process and to move forward with a sense of trust, confidence, and improved internal power. With that, let's tell us, Catherine, how did you get started in this journey you have? Well, I've always been very, very interested in psychology. And what I found is I was really drawn to East-West psychology as in my graduate studies. And I think the reason I was so drawn to the East-West is because there's a bigger picture. In the East, there's such a deeper, they give so much deeper meaning to the human processes rather than there's something wrong with you and we have to fix it. It's how do we embrace the processes of life? So I've always been very interested in that. And it took me into studying yoga and meditation. And I eventually opened a yoga center here in Colorado. And as that was going along and I was training other instructors to become instructors and really creating a community here, I went through my own very difficult divorce. And what I found is that even though I had been studying and teaching yoga and meditation for 15 years, it wasn't quite enough. And what I did is I found a wonderful coaching program that helped me through my own divorce 911 moments where there were moments where I was just curled up in a ball on the floor, just in the pain of and the fear of what was happening. And I found a coaching program and it helped immediately. And I, what I realized is it brought in those Eastern Western psychology tools. And so I embraced it, became a coach and right away started attracting people, mostly women in my community who were going through divorce and going through career change and midlife questions. And they were being drawn to this program. And so I ended up closing the studio actually sold it to a wonderful woman. And I have since gone on to do this full time because there's such a need. And it helped me so much that I absolutely love to share it with others. Well, that's fantastic. So the issue, I, I loved some of the things you said offline before we got started. We were just talking about what we would talk about. And I love the idea of being catalytic in transformation. I think you, that's a quote from you, but I think the idea of being a catalyst and thinking about how that transformational moment can be used in a constructive way instead of not constructive, in some level remaining arrested in some kind, as you said earlier, a victim role instead of moving forward and actually growing from the experience and really redefining who you are based on what happened in your life. Absolutely. I love the term. There's only two ways to look at life or any of life's challenges. It's that either life is happening to us or it's happening for us. There's nothing in between. So it's really about making that choice to let it working for you as a catalyst for transformation rather than to turn you into a victim of the circumstances. So listeners, Catherine has a book that she's going to give away. No Mud, No Lotus, Tools for Tough, tough if I can spit it out, Tough Transition. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And Catherine has some very specific ideas. This is going to be a very valuable conversation because Catherine's going to share with us some very specific, this is going to be chatter. This is going to be what the deal is and what to do with it. And she's got some very specific structural concepts that are so valuable and actionable. That's what we really love about it. If we can get some actionable ideas, things we can use, you're going to enjoy this conversation. So where should we start, Catherine? 
Let's see. Let's start with just transition in general, like divorce or like a health crisis or a relationship ending or a career change. Any difficult transition is going to, in a way, unearth all of the core beliefs and all of the thoughts and emotions that we may have been holding down for a very long time. And it's our opportunity at this point to really learn how to deal with this pain and learn from it. And one of the specialties that I have is how to move on from a very difficult divorce, specifically a divorce from a narcissistic individual or somebody with narcissistic tendencies, because not only is change painful, but when you're dealing with this kind of a person, it's even more challenging. So these tools and techniques can really apply to anybody going through any major transition. They can be tweaked a little bit, but these are really specifically how to get through that really difficult divorce and separate yourself from a difficult person who may be really pushing all your buttons. So you have a structure for that you had was it five that you were thinking about five steps to do this or what how could you describe what that was all about that we talked about absolutely so i do i have a five-step process and each of the steps there really is kind of an action step and a tool that you can have to really move through this time and come out stronger so instead of really becoming the victim and, and suffering I love this the quote from Buddha that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So this is a process that really takes us out of suffering. So there's going to be pain, but how do we work with that pain instead of suffering from that pain? So that would be a utilitarian first step, having a different perspective. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So really what the five steps boils down to are strategies that really strengthen and fortify your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual strength. We are very much like four tires on a car, or we're like the car with four tires. And those four tires are physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And when one of those tires is off, then we find ourselves kind of going off course or going into a ditch. So these five steps are really about fortifying all of those parts of ourselves so that we can travel down the road through this transition into the next stage. So the number one step that I like to teach people in this process is, like you said, just really learning all that you can. So changing your mindset and learning the characteristics. And I'm going to focus these five steps on the narcissistic personality. So really learning the characteristics of a narcissist. And it's really about demystifying what's happening to you in the divorce or in the separation. Because once we learn the characteristics of a narcissist, we really start feeling like we're less alone. And we start realizing this is an actual thing that happens to a lot of people and that we're not, you know, in, stuck alone in this ourselves and that there really is information out there to support us. So demystifying it then what happens is you're really saying, here's who this person is. Here's who, here's how they present themselves. Here's how they manage themselves. And here's how that destructive element of um, unbalance that they have can interfere is the word I'm looking for with your own development. 
Absolutely. And it really takes a lot of the personal aspect out of it. A lot of times we take it personally. We, we believe what the narcissist is saying about us. We believe what the narcissist is trying to project onto us. So what it does is it helps take people out of step away from that and see it as a behavior pattern rather than something that's happening to them. Rather than it's a reality of them. It's a reality of the narcissist, not a reality of you. Exactly. It's their exactly. reality. It's not your reality. Thank you. That's perfect. That's a great, the, a great way to say that. So that's the first thing. And, and then what, when you do that, you have some, you mentioned that's what would be a tool that you would do to actually recognize and deal with that? How, how do you do that? Well, what I like to recommend to my clients is to really gather as much information as possible. So some of the very common characteristics of a narcissist is that they lack empathy, and that means they're unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and the needs of others. They don't consider or even care about the pain that they inflict on others. So again, learning about these behaviors and seeing that there is a pattern of behaviors, they will also have a grandiose sense of self. They may choose to act outside of legal boundaries and commitments, and they're also masters of projection and dishonesty. So what people with narcissistic tendencies do is project their own subconscious negative self-judgments onto their targets. So when we demystify and we learn the characteristics, there's a lot of great information out there. Then it starts to take it away from something that is happening personally to something that is kind of more of a, what's the word I'm looking for, more of a global issue. It's something well, I, that is I think the word you might be looking for is a clinical manifestation of a person who is unbalanced. Yes. To be there very, you go. Thank you very deliberate words. about it. I mean, they have a uh -huh. problem. You Great. don't have the problem, you know. Goodness. Exactly. Exactly. You pull yourself apart from it. That's a, key, that's a key number one point. Okay. So that's a start. So what you're saying is, folks, you have to change your perspective. You can't live in your limited perceptions of the past with this individual. And what very often happens with a victim is they tend to recall the moments, even seconds, of where it was right and diminish and make insignificant the problems. Like, I can handle it. It's not a problem. And uh, that denial then helps them stay. You know, they then create reasons right. to stay out of, out of the denial of the reality of the uh, lack of balance. Yes. So then what's number two? Where are we going with number two? So number two is once you have demystified it, really been able to separate it, see the behaviors, is to have tools to never believe their criticism of you. And most importantly, take the time that you need to heal from the relationship. So when you're in that healing process, it's really important to create a pocket of space where the narcissist in your life cannot get into. So they can't get into, they can't access or touch this process of yours so that you can really get stronger. So it might include working with a therapist, a life coach, a support group, yoga, or any kind of self-improvement course, and really gathering the people around you and the atmosphere where you can work on your healing and continue to separate from the narcissist. And in this healing space, I think one of the most important points, and this is kind of what we were talking about before, is you really get to learn about yourself and what your own issues and patterns are that got you into this type of relationship in the first place and heal those. And then you will 
hopefully not repeat them in the future. So not only are you healing and creating boundaries and really having space to do this self-improvement, but you're also re-examining your beliefs so that you can move forward in a much healthier relationship pattern. So in that way, you're actually beginning to examine yourself in terms of the holes that you brought to the relationship from yourself. You know, what happens is you have some holes and you think he's going to fill them. I'm talking about Mm -hmm. genders now because this happens to guys too, by the way. I mean, just to be very explicit about guys get guys that are narcissistic and somehow that guy is going to be the father they didn't have. And we've had women on the show who had women, narcissist friends, who Mm -hmm. somehow connect them to some better reality. And they actually had to come to the grips with the fact that they were feeling in some way deficient themselves, that they couldn't realize that, and that this person would be a tool for them to actually realize and grow in some constructive way. And instead of looking at the reality of it, they they kept having the illusion that the person was trying to uh, foster that the victim couldn't live without them. So that would be that whole self-examination thing. So first of all, number one is change the perception and really start learning all you can. Then number two is really look explicitly at yourself, really. Absolutely. And I just want to add on to what you're saying is a lot of times I'll have clients who are going through this kind of divorce and then they start looking in their lives and they see that they've attracted these relationships in their job or in their friendships, like you said. And so all of these tools really do apply to any kind of relationship that is unhealthy and that we need to kind of come back to ourselves as the source of power. And also a lot of empaths are drawn to narcissists and empaths use the narcissist to bolster their self-esteem. And so what the process is about is becoming stronger and, and really becoming your own source of affirmation of wholeness, right? Really learning how to do that on your own rather than relying on another person to give it to you. So Catherine, take a moment to just explain what an empath is because some of our listeners wouldn't uh, be familiar with that language. Sure. So another word for an empath is a highly sensitive individual. And empaths typically use other people's emotions. They take on other people's emotions. So a lot of times empaths go through their lives feeling other people's emotions and taking them on as their own. So let's say a parent was very abusive and the empath might take that on as I'm a horrible person. I deserve to be hurt. This person doesn't like me. I am bad. So empaths gather this information, but they do it at a much higher level than somebody who's not an empath. And so they're walking around with this very raw self-esteem, very fragile self-esteem. And so generally when a narcissist comes into the picture with an empath, the narcissist promises to protect them or somehow makes the empath dependent on them so that they, in a way, take their power and give the empath a sense of a false sense of safety or security. Yeah, when you were saying that, one of the things I was thinking about as an empathic person, an excessively empathic person, is really searching for themselves in a certain way. They're trying to find who they Mm -hmm. are. They emote the whole idea that they don't know who they are, that they're not sure about Mm -hmm. things. And an individual who's narcissistic has got serious, it's like I used to hunt rabbits when I was a kid down in Missouri, okay? And Mm -hmm. it was amazing that a dog could smell a rabbit and pick it out. And we couldn't see the rabbit. The dog couldn't see the rabbit, but the dog could smell the rabbit. It was always amazing to me, you know. And I think that a narcissist is a little bit like a hunting dog, okay? 
And what they do is they can smell that when you yourself are not aware of it. And what happens is they know that you're searching for something and then they say, hey, I'm the guy. I could do it. You know, I'll help you out. Yeah. You need help. Right. I can see you need help. I can definitely do it. And so they're like, oh my gosh, somebody recognizes I need help. And then, you know, then you're down the tubes pretty quickly. Absolutely. That's a great description. So it sounds like the guy is actually being empathic. That's the key. So it's like, oh, this right. person's That's like me. Part. I mean, right. I get him and I see that he's very competent. And he actually understood me. So he's being empathic with me. No, he's not. He is hunting you. <laughs> he yeah. wants to eat yes. you. This is reptilian mm-hmm. thinking. We've had several guests that talk about reptilian thinking. And it's really quite interesting because it's, it's really very basic animal instinct, you know, eat or be eaten. Instead of looking at the complexity as they do in Eastern thinking, you were talking about a moment ago, looking at the complexity of the situation is like very black and white and very locked down and, uh, you know, eat or be eaten kind of situation. So, well, let me take a moment here. I'm looking forward to the question for me is really simple. This next question is what's step number three? You have our interest. We're all sitting on the edge of our chairs here. You know, what is she going to come up with the lesson three? Because what we have in one is really looking at the larger picture of what's going on, looking at that person, understanding that whole way, if you will, psychophysiology, whatever you want to call it. And then the second step is really taking a look at why are you there in the first place? Who are you? I'm really looking forward. We're going to take a break now, folks. And when we get back, Catherine is going to tell us, I have no idea what step number three is. I'm really looking forward to it. So, folks, we'll be back in just a moment. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrol challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, Catherine, this is like a suspense picture, okay? We had the tease. We know what something's going to happen. The door is going to open. What is number three? You have us all waiting here. This is going to be interesting. What's number three about? Okay, well, this is the big one. And this is really that pivotal turning point in how to be able to survive and then thrive after a relationship with a narcissist. So number three is to accept that you will never change their view of you or gain their approval ever. And if you can accept that one piece, you will be able to move on with your life. Your number three is draw the line in the sand. Plant it the sure flag. Is. It is. 
put the armor on, put the K-bar <laughs> knife in your teeth and walk into the jungle. And that is it. You are not going to sit down and have the problem happen to you anymore. You're going to stand up and be counted. Exactly. So you are going to pull away all of the energy that not only have you spent during your relationship, but most likely during the breakup, you are going to stop putting any and all energy into trying to change their view or gain their approval and start shifting that energy and use it to really move forward in your life. So really acting on affirming the new beliefs about yourself, reinforcing your new positive beliefs. So all of the energy turns from needing to change the narcissist or to change their thoughts or words or actions towards you and putting all that energy into really affirming your strength and moving forward. You know, one of the things that we said strength and we talked about standing up and being counted, action really to me, and I'm just associating with what you're talking about and thinking about people who've been successful with this next step. And I've, I really appreciate your sharing this with us because I really haven't thought it through this explicitly and I really appreciate your bringing it up. But this next step, number three, is really in a way a physical step. It's a mental step, but it's a physical step. You were talking about, you know, the several physical you know, the different spokes on the tires on the car. And physical was one of them. Actually, we started kind of in the mental thing, and now we're down to, I think, one of the things that our listeners can do to really be stronger emotionally and physically is to take some kind of physical activity, whether it's yoga, whether it's working out, whether it's running, whether it's taking a walk every day. It gets your internal juice you be get into more of a warrior combat situation. So you feel, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. You internally feel this is full combat. We're not messing around anymore, and we're going to get something done here. It is. It's saying you no longer get my energy. You no longer get to affect me. You no longer get to dictate how I feel. And physically, absolutely, any kind of strengthening exercises. I love to encourage people to do really some kind of strong workouts to where you really push yourself to where you don't think you can keep going, whether it's running that extra mile or lifting that extra five pounds and really showing yourself that you have what it takes, that you are going to be strong enough to move through this. Because once you are out of the narcissist's life, you'll see that you have no value in their eyes and you're going to become the enemy because you've threatened their fragile sense of self. Yeah. So they're going to lash out and you've got to be prepared. You know, you've got to be prepared for what's coming. That is very well said. I mean, that is extremely well said because that is that fragile sense of self for a human being to do what a narcissist does with another person. Their self-esteem is in the toilet in the first place. And right. what happens is, you know, as I was, as you were saying what you said so eloquently and so well, the metaphor that hit me was you're in the woods, you look down and you thought you heard some noises in the bush, which was number one. And number two, the whole thing of, yes, I've come too close and the snake has actually bit me and has a fangs right there in my arm. And number three is actually grabbing the snake and taking the snake out of your arm and throwing them down the road and stepping on their head at the same time. So you get that snake out of your body because there's a certain parasitic element that that person mm -hmm. doesn't look like they're parasitic, but because they're so low self-esteem and they have to control you, they are a parasite. They don't look like Absolutely. a parasite, but they're a parasite. Right. And by taking that snake out, you're saying no more get this energy. You never, you no more get my life force energy. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good.
I love it. Awesome. I love that. And I wanted to really quick with, there's a really great tool for this in the book, No Mud, No Lotus, which is, by the way, a free download for anybody who visits my website. There are five tools in there, and it's all about really getting the lesson from the difficult times and moving on. But there's a great tool in there that I would definitely recommend for your listeners. There's a self-love, a love letter to yourself and a self-love rampage. So what you're doing is retraining yourself to become the source of your affirmation so that you no longer rely on that person to affirm you. It's really cool. It's a cool tool. I think everyone will like it. We have a lot about, that is so good. I'm glad you brought up affirmations. That also occurred to me. I mean, these, these conversations are so constructive because we've hit with a number of really good people, guests we've really appreciated, talk about meditation and affirmations. And, and certainly that there are some tools on the mindset page, folks. If you go to corebrainjournal.com forward slash mindset, several different people are talking about this. And I'm so glad, Catherine, that you brought that up because that's taking the snake out of your arm. You're actually healing the holes in a way at the same time, because it's like, I just don't need that level of contact anymore. Right. So, okay. So now we're cooking along life's pathway. We've been in the (laughs) woods, we've been bit. Now we're going to get unbit. So now we took the snake away. What's number four all about? Well, number four I like to put in here because a lot of people who are separating from a narcissist may have children involved, which makes it very, even more challenging because this person is going to be in your life forever. And one of the unfortunate pieces of divorcing a narcissist is that a lot of times the children get put in the middle and can be used as pawns. And so I put number four in, it's all around co-parenting and how now that you've become stronger and you've made this decision to become the source of your own well-being, that you stay in a place where you can be very present with your children and work on strengthening your relationship with your children and not worry about their relationship with the children. So really creating a safe space for the children, trusting bonds with the children so that they feel like they have at least one one reliable parent who's putting their needs first. Yeah, I think another apropos of that, and just to take it one step further, that's such a good point. And being a child psychiatrist, we see it happen so often. I think another additional step, which is probably in your book, but just to to hit it, is they're going to be running you down. And the issue is I've seen individuals in a victim role who were determined to never run the other person down. And I think there's a a place in between where a person can say different people have different ideas about things and some people run people down to make their point. I personally don't do that. What I do is I look very carefully at what's the positive and what's the negative. And that's what I'm training you children to do is to really think about what's positive and what's negative. What's love, what's commitment, what's consideration, what's negativity, and what's positivity. And really think about mm-hmm. those values in your life. So then you have a whole, you're building the perception for step one with them. Exactly. So that they can also be discerning when they're older or even now about who they choose to let into their lives in terms of relationships. That's a great point. Well, I think so often the narcissist is so completely negative and it seems constructive when you first get with them because they know everything about everything and everybody else is really totally screwed up. Their way, they, everybody would be okay. And mm-hmm. uh, so what happens is they look like they're being constructive, but they're actually pushing everybody away. As you said a moment ago, with, and you'll see this in other aspects of your life, you know, if you think the answers are you know, in the embodiment of one person somehow, 
So what they're doing is they're saying negative, 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 and then the mission would be to get the kids to understand the relevance of being so non-constructive, so detrimental, and so counterproductive in their, in their actual ordinary conversation with people. Definitely. I like what you're saying. You can, just like you can use this as a tool to grow, you can also use this as an opportunity to teach your children tools to grow and to, in their lives. Put those bridges up, help them draw the line in the sand. I can tell you stories where women didn't do this and the guy got the kids. It just, they got the church lawyer who really didn't know anything about separation, but was a Mm -hmm. nice guy. And he got the meanest, nastiest guy in town who says this guy is successful and she's a loser and the judge doesn't know the difference. Exactly. And I see that with clients. If my, you know, I had that experience where their women either feel guilty for taking care of themselves and stepping out of the marriage. So they kind of just give everything to the ex because as empaths, they feel like they're doing something wrong by taking care of themselves. So they do fall victim and they don't set those boundaries. And that's actually a great segue into number five is that is imperative with a narcissist to set firm boundaries, which include legal boundaries, but also the emotional boundaries. There's two sides to that. And with the legal boundaries, making sure you have a team who's there, who understands this dynamic is crucial. I've also had clients who have attorneys who don't understand the dynamics. And I always Mm -hmm. encourage them to find someone who has had this experience with this type of of divorce and um, really having a team that is going to protect the boundaries and the parenting time and the structures and the finances. Everything has to be very, very set, very clear, because there is a good chance that you're going to have to defend those boundaries with a narcissist. That is really a good point. Now, let me ask you this. And, you know, this is obviously unrehearsed because I mean, but my partner happens to be a divorce mediator person. And Mm -hmm. I've had numerous conversations about lawyers in this regard and indeed Mm -hmm. judges and how judges themselves get into the macho hot dog position and identify with a macho hot dog guy. You know, he's worked so hard and he's sweated blood and he's worked for 12 hours and he's, he may be a little bit uh, gruff and grumble, but she doesn't look like she's going to be an adequate mother because of the way she conducts herself. And Well, right, because usually the emotional piece of the empath is to kind of fall apart. Yeah. So the narcissist says, you're crazy, and the empathic person is falling apart and looks crazy, and then it's this tumbling into, she shouldn't have the kids. Look how unstable she is. So it's absolutely textbook. So the issue then is, what do you think about mediation as opposed to divorce uh, rather than getting into a courtroom with it, but actually doing mediation? Do you see any better success rate of resolving these conflicts through mediation or what's your experience with that? My experience is that mediation is simply another kind of journey or road to creating boundaries. So what I like to recommend to people is try mediation. Why not? Right. It's the less aggressive step. So try everything. If that ends up working great, but when you're in mediation, you better be sure that you have good legal advice to really take a look at what's going on. Don't agree to anything until you've had an attorney look it over who really knows the ins and outs of the law and what you're about to sign. Because parenting agreement, a divorce agreement decree is good forever. And so it takes a lot to go back and change that. 
So you've got to be really, really clear about your rights, about your legal rights before you sign anything, whether it's in mediation or with an attorney. So that's interesting because in Virginia, the mediator actually has the power as a certified mediator to draw up something that the court will look at in and of itself, even though the person's not a lawyer. Right. I would say don't sign until you've had it looked over by a lawyer. (laughs) That's what I recommend. And I think it's the same here in Colorado. I think that the power of the agreement stands. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're in this kind of relationship to really take your time, really take your time. Don't make any rash decisions just to get out. That's another thing I see with women is I can't wait to get out of this. I'll sign whatever he wants me to sign just so I can be away from him. And what that does, it comes back and bites them in the butt. And so really, really taking the time before you sign anything to make sure it's legally sound and it it really makes sense for you. Catherine, this has been a great conversation. You've really covered a lot of meaningful, helpful. I mean, if you think about these five steps, and, you know, you can get them at her website. It'll be on the show nights. This, this, she's gifted every listener here with an outline of how to do this. One way or another, you can get it. Of course, you got this brief summary. You can get it in the car when you're going to work or whatever. But I think it's a very useful way of looking at options because what happens so often if a person's on the empath side, if a person's on the victim side, they don't consider any options. They just compulsively, whatever, reflexly or whatever. I don't like the word compulsive, but they just repetitively stay with, I'm going to try to work this out in some way with a limited view of what the whole situation actually is. And it's, it winds up being quite destructive. So this has really been helpful. Now, Catherine, where can people get a hold of you? And tell us a little more about your practice. You do virtual consults. I do. I offer free strategy sessions for anybody going through a tough transition. It's really easy. You sign up on my website. We can do a 30-minute call, find out what's going on in your life, what kind of tools are going to be most helpful and useful to you in where you want to be. So the one-on-one consultations are available. They're, of course, on a limited basis. So the sooner you sign up for that, better, so we can get on the phone. And I also have on my website, which is katherinemitchum.com. It's Catherine with a Y and Mitchum with an E. I have a, a divorce relief support system for people, and there's all different options. So there's one-on-one coaching There's online learning with my online program. It's called Divorce 911. And there's also an ongoing divorce relief support program that I do for a monthly membership fee. So there's all kinds of options. And a call is a great way to kind of figure out which options are best. Or if they feel like they just need to dive in and need to feel better right away, everything is available on my website. So let me just clarify that for listeners. She is a Catherine with a K, folks. And, and a Y, okay? And, okay, K and a Y. <laughs> yeah, because there's a C and a K, Catherine. She's a K and she's got Mitchum okay. with an E-M at the end. And thank you so much. I think it's great that you're doing this. And I, I could imagine that, you know, it, because it's so convenient, I think this is the thing about digital work, is because it's so convenient, all people, all they have to really do is show up. It's easier than driving across town you don't have all that going on and driving across, certainly I could drive across the United States, but to get somebody who has a, a larger picture like this so they can get the support and really consider what their next steps are and have somebody outside of themselves that's going to be constructive for the resolution of these, of these really terrible conflicts. 
Absolutely. And these the systems that I have on the programs really do work. They take you through the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms. So it is a complete transformation. We're not focusing on just one. We're really incorporating all of those aspects. So I do believe it's a very powerful, it's great for long lasting change. And it also takes a commitment. So if people are committed, the tools, the resources are here and they can do it. They absolutely can do it. Well, thanks so much, Catherine. I really appreciate you coming on board. And, uh, you know, if you have an additional wrinkle down the road, I've enjoyed this conversation. We can come back and do it again sometime. Excellent. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.